It's good to be together this morning. Isn't it, Taylor? It's good to be together. No, come on. Come on. It's, uh, it's a special morning uh, for, for us. We have some friends from Kansas who are here to visit. Keith and Violet. I know. Give them a hand. Give them a hand. It's a long way. It's a long way. Um, something interesting. I spent, uh, Carmen and I spent 17 years of our life in Kansas. So every time that football season began, we did so as, you know, aliens and strangers in a foreign land surrounded by Chiefs fans. And so this is the first time in 17 years we get to, like, start the football season surrounded by a fellow Browns fans, maybe? Like, can we say that out loud? So welcome, Keith and Vi. We're glad you're surrounded by people who, you know, love you, love the Browns. But uh, it is cool, though. This is, uh, you know, it's a silly thing. Sports are silly, and yet they bring us together. It's, it's like anything. It's about relationships that bring us together. Uh, but this is a picture, Daryl and Amber. Let's just have some special prayer for Daryl and Amber here. <laughs> Newlyweds, right? You guys have been married a couple of months now. There we go. We're actually going to talk about that today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is a picture, right, of... Um, when Jesus is lifted up, it says he draws all kinds of people to himself. He draws all people to himself when Jesus is at the center. And so sports, as funny as they are, they do become a picture of like, there are lots of things in our life that don't matter, right? And, and sports don't really matter. And, and there are lots of things that get, um, that put under our, our um, surrendering to Jesus as Lord. And so the church, this is what we do. Like when we come together, we... We lift Jesus up, that he is our Lord. He's the one who's at the center. And it's always interesting. You know, all right, you can look around the room and you say, wow, Jesus is going to draw all kinds of people to himself. He's going to draw Steelers fans and Browns fans and, you know, Chiefs fans. Um, and it's just one little picture of the goodness that Jesus is doing. There is no other power in the world that has that kind of gravity to pull us and hold us together. Right? But we look at him and, he, and he's so good and he's so amazing. And the more we look at him, the more he just like pulls us into his orbit, and we begin following him, and we find ourselves as family together. Um, I'm, I'm just convinced that there is no other hope. Like, there, there is no other hope in the world. And like, my heart is really heavy this morning. Even just like, Susanna, what you, what you shared about Dana, um, just sitting in that place of, of crisis with this couple, and, and Daryl, you know, sharing uh, about drug addiction. I'm guessing if I was gonna, if I was gonna ask us across the room here this morning to, to raise your hand if you, if you have someone in your life or if you yourself, somebody you love, have, have struggled with drug addiction or, or are in a place right now where you're watching someone like, wow, just a path of self-destruction. Like, I'm guessing there aren't many hands that, that wouldn't be raised. Um, this, is, this is a big deal. And just thinking, like, my heart this morning, just thinking about the heart of God, like God's heart when he watches us, because he, he does, he, he watches us as we, we make decisions in life that he knows are going to like end up doing harm, harm to us. And I think the Father's heart breaks as your heart is breaking, Daryl. The Father's heart breaks for us. And that, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would love for us just to take a few more minutes and just like intercede, particularly for, for those needs that were shared, but also for, for others, um, particularly for addiction. Like for those who, who have, you know, who, who are just struggling, who are fighting this battle and, and, and needing hope and needing life and ultimately like just needing the healing power of Jesus at work in their life. Can we just take some time and we'll just, maybe we'll just, we'll just have a, a silence um, and if, if you want to lift your voice and pray, you can. And, um, or if you just want to pray silently and intercede on behalf uh, of freedom, let's do that. And then I'll close, close our time in prayer. Father in heaven, we, we, we just come before you as needy people, and we come boldly to your throne in the name of your Son, who you sent to be our Redeemer, our Savior, our King, and Lord, we ask for your healing power in the name of Jesus, the power to set people free, from, particularly from addiction. God, we pray for those who we love, whose lives are just being, being wrecked by, by substances, by um, these things that are, are designed to steal and to kill and to destroy. God, we pray for those who are like just feeling so hopeless. God, that they wonder if life is even worth living or if there's ever a way out. And Jesus, we ask that you would break through, that you would bring your healing love and light into that dark place, that you, God, would, in, in whatever way, God, you don't need us, but you often use us. And so if you're sending us, just like you sent Dana the other night, God, that you would give us the fullness of your Holy Spirit to step into those places as ambassadors of your kingdom to live and to share your, your presence, your good news. God, we, we want to see freedom and hope and life. And so many, so many in this room have been called to, to freedom and then to share freedom. And God, I just pray, especially for those who are just kind of on the, on the front lines of of walking with people, just in the struggle of addiction, for those who are themselves coming out of the darkness into the light of your life and your love, God, would you just give us a vision of the fullness of life that you want for us, Jesus? Like, help us to live that vision and to, to share it. Jesus, we know that we have no other hope, that there is no other hope for a broken world than you, than your life, than your death, than your resurrection. 
And so, Jesus, we put our hope and our trust in you, and we entrust our whole selves to you. We love you, Lord. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last, um, last week, we, and I realized it was a holiday weekend, so there were, you know, uh, not everybody was, was here. Um, but we... We had this kind of like just set apart one Sunday. It wasn't part of a series or anything like that. Where we looked at the very first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. So if you read the Gospel of John, it's this massive introduction that John sets up. The very first words are a question of Jesus. And I have come to, to believe that it's not just a question, it is the question. That what Jesus says in John, his very first words are this very simple question, what do you want? What do you want? And this is the most central question of life, and it is the most central question of our life with God, a life of discipleship. Just by, by Jesus looking at us and saying, what do you want? What do you desire? What are you seeking? What's driving your life? And I think if we can get really clear about that, like what do I want, it helps bring everything else in line. And in some ways, the fall. Like, so we're in this season of life right now um, where it's kind of like new beginnings, and I know the way we structure our calendar, it's like New Year, you make the New Year resolutions and all that stuff, but New Year's kind of a crummy time to like start over, because it's in the middle of winter, and it's like the darkest time of life, and you know, all, all of that. And so the calendar kind of tells us to do that, but naturally, we feel like fall is, an, is almost a new year. It's almost a more natural new year to us. Kids are going back to school, and you know, ha uh, rhythms of life are... <coughs> Are, are sort of being reset again. Do you feel that in yourself in the fall? And so there's kind of this natural sense of it's like a reset point in the fall. And, and I think this is a great question for us as we enter into this fall season. Like, okay, what do I want? What do I want most? Because if I, if I can get really clear about that question, everything else falls into line. From the most like simple things, like... Um, uh, it was a couple of years, uh, was, I guess it was last summer, I wanted to make some health changes. And I had to decide, do I want that plate of nachos at midnight? Or do I want to be able to hike the Grand Canyon with my friends in October? Right? And, and when, I really want the nachos, but what I want more, that's my love language, by the way, is just a big plate of nachos, just in case anybody's interested. Um, I want the nachos, yes, on one level, but do you know what I want more is I want to have this experience of being able to hike the Grand Canyon with my friends, and I probably can't do both of them all the time, right? So what do I want more? And because I want this thing more, it helps me make decisions and say no to that. Are you with me? I mean, from, from everything. So in like in pastoral counseling situations or when I'm, I'm talking with people, I ask this question a lot, like, okay, like, what do you want? What do you want most? And if you can get clear about that, wow, it helps to sort a lot of things out because we are driven by our desires. What you want most will win. What you want most will win. 
in, in your life. And so part of our life with God, part of our formation, part of our like being disciples of Jesus is saying, how do we learn to desire life with him, to want it more than we want anything else in our life? Because in some way, that's the only way it like works, quote unquote works. Like Jesus says this, seek first the kingdom of God. Like want it, desire it more than you want anything else. And if you do that, everything else will kind of fall into place under that. So the question is like, how do we develop this desire for Jesus where I want him, I want life with him, I want to experience the fullness of life with him more than I want anything else in my life because that's what Jesus offers. Like Jesus says in John 10.10, and it's so powerful, he says, uh, there is a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Right? There is an enemy of our souls who wants to steal life, who wants to kill us, who wants to destroy, like lead us on a path of self-destruction. <laughs> and there are many paths that lead to self-destruction. But Jesus came that we can experience life and life to the fullest, like the abundant kind of life, that Jesus comes to give us this quality and quantity of life that we could never imagine, that we could never experience outside of him. And how do we learn to desire that? Jesus, I want the life that you give me more than I want anything else. Because if I'm honest, I want it, but sometimes I don't. Right? Like, right? I want these, these unworthy wants sometimes that pull me on. Like, Am I alone in that? And sometimes I'm, I'm like, in Ephesians, it talks about deceitful desires. Like, sometimes we're, like, pulled away from Jesus by these deceitful desires. And so I think there's this, this gift that we have of just coming back to just remembering again and again and again. And that's some ways what we do here on Sunday mornings is we gather to remind ourselves of how good God really is and how good life with God really is. I think that's kind of the center of it, is just to keep in front of our minds this, this goodness, this beauty of what God has done for us, of how good God really is, because the world can make us forget, forget that. And I think if you look at the Bible, if you look at the, especially the, the New Testament, but it's not even just in the New Testament, it's, it's really throughout Scripture, that is the path of, of change that happens in our life. That, that everything that we do in our life is always a response to what God has already done for us. Right? It's not like God doesn't call us to do things in a heavy-handed way. Even, for example, like the most prominent commands in the Old Testament, what are they? You know? There, there are ten of them. Yes, the ten commandments. And you can read that and you can think like, wow, okay, these are ten commandments. These are kind of heavy-handed, do this or else. But they're not. Because do you know what comes right before the, the Ten Commandments? God says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I've already done this for you. I've set you free. Now, have no other gods before me, right? And then he goes into these commandments. Because I've done this for you, now, like, respond in this way. Um, and, and the whole New Testament is, is built this way. In, in, like, the book of Romans, for example, if you're, like, Romans is one of, the, maybe the, the headiest and, and sometimes heaviest of, of all of the letters in the New Testament. And if you were going <clears> to <throat> look at Romans as a whole, like, the first 11 chapters just outline all that God has done um, and how we are invited to respond to him. 
And then, after 11 chapters, you get to chapter 12, verse 1, and it says, now, therefore. Now, if you ever read the word therefore in the Bible, you always ask, what is it therefore? Right? <laughs> You'll remember that. What is, what is the therefore therefore? And so you get to chapter 12, verse 1, and it says, Now therefore, in view of all of God's mercy, in view of everything that God has done for you, do what? Offer your bodies to him as a living sacrifice. Do you, do you hear that? It's like, look at what God has done. 11 chapters. And then, out of that, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves to God as a living sacrifice. And then he goes on, chapters 12 through 15, to give these, like, instructions of, of how to do it. The book of Galatians is exactly the same way. You get four chapters of look at all that God has done, and then you get to chapter 5, verse 1, and it says, Now it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now live in freedom. So, and, and so sometimes in the church we get this wrong because, like, the sermons we hear and the messages we internalize are like, you got to do better. You got to do more. You should, you should do this more often, and you shouldn't do that as often. And we just feel these like heavy-handed regulations. And it's like, you know what? It's kind of up to me to get it together. And if I do, then maybe God will love me. And it's absolutely the opposite. Like, I think the whole of Christian life can be summed up in this one beautiful verse from 1 John 4.19 that says, We love because he first loved us. Well, we love. Who do we love? We love God because he first loved us. We love each other because he first loved us. Everything we do is in response to what God has already done. And so how do we develop desire? How do we, how do we cultivate where we want life with God more than we want anything else, more, of the, more than these deceitful desires in our lives? It's, it's by constantly reminding us of all that God has done. And so this fall, um, starting today, and then for the next couple of weeks, um, we're just going to look at this, this, one, this one book in the New Testament. We call it a book. It's kind of a letter. It's actually more of a sermon. It's, it's kind of the Sermon of Ephesians. And I think it, it's so powerful because it's, it does exactly the same thing as what we're talking about. In chapters 1 to 3 of Ephesians, Paul, he, he writes this sermon to people just like us, followers of Jesus, people struggling, trying to find their way, follow Jesus in a world that's, that's crazy. And here's what he says. Chapters 1 through 3, just catch these things real quick. He, he's like, because of what God has already done for you in Jesus, this, this is who you are in Christ. Do you know who you are? You have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. You have been redeemed. You have been forgiven. You have been chosen before the foundations of the world. You have been filled with the Holy Spirit. You have been made alive. You are God's handiwork. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a piece of work. This is where this comes from. You, some of you meant that a little too much. You are God's handiwork. Like, you are God's artwork. This is... This is what he's done for us. You are God's temple. All of these things, he says, like, for three chapters, he goes on and on and on about all that God has done for us. And then he finally says in chapter 4, the first time he makes any command, any kind of like, okay, now live differently is in chapter 4. And here's what he says. So I urge you, brothers and sisters, to then live a life worthy of this calling you've received. And then he goes on 4 to 6 to give some instructions about how to, how to live that out. Are you, are you with me? We love him. Why? Why? Because he first loved us. 
So this, this fall, we're going to look at Ephesians. We're going to look at this, this sermon that Paul writes. And, and we're calling the series uh, Ephesians, Flourishing in Life with God, because we need a vision of flourishing. Our world is desperate for a vision of true life like of a life that is real and true and abundant and flourishing. And I think we, we find it in Jesus. And Ephesians is going to help us have this clear picture of a life of flourishing. And so here's what I'm going to do uh, for the rest of our, our time this morning. Is, um, you know, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to like, we're going to look at different parts of this sermon that Paul writes but before we do that, what I want to do this morning is I just want you to feel it. I want you to feel the whole sermon, the whole arc of it. I want you to hear the heart of it. Because sermons, like the best ones, right, they, they engage our heads, but they come from our heart. I want you to feel the heart of what Paul, Paul writes. So, so I'm not going to read the sermon. I'm, I'm going to do my best to preach it. And so I invite you to listen to this just like you listen to a sermon only this isn't a sermon from me. It's from the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So listen to this as you would listen to the very words of God, giving you a vision for flourishing in life with him. So here we go. So this is a, this is a sermon from Paul. And I was chosen by the will of God to be an apostle. apostle an apostle is a sent one of God. It's somebody who lives on purpose sent by God, and I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm preaching to God's holy people here in northeastern Ohio. You, God's holy people, who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has already blessed us in him with every spiritual blessing because you are united with Christ. Now, even before he made the world, God loved us, and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance like before he made any of creation, he decided to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure to do this. So we, we praise God for this glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Our God, our God is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and he forgave all of our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to all of us his mysterious will regarding Christ. And here's his will. Do you want to know what God's will is? Here's his will. It's this, that at the right time he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. That's what God is doing. That's his will, to bring everything on heaven and on earth unified under the authority of Christ, even Steelers fans and Browns fans, united. <laughs> Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance, like you have received an inheritance that 
And he chose this for you in advance. And he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that Jews who were the first to turn to Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now we, we who are Gentiles, we've also heard this truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, like when you gave your life to him, he identified you as his very own, just like he did us, by giving you his Holy Spirit, which he promised you. And he, he did this now. And so we are free to praise and glorify him. Ever since I witnessed your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, like I ask him to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you can know him fully. And I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand this confident hope he has given to those who he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you would understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. This power that's at work in us is the same as the mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. This is the same power, this resurrection power of Jesus, it is at work in you who believe. It's already there at work in you. Now, he is far above any ruler or any authority or any power or any leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. And God has already put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church that is his body. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Now, at one point, brothers and sisters, you were dead in your transgressions, in your disobedience, and in your many sins. It was like life did not exist in you because you used to live in sin, just like us, just like the rest of the world. We were enslaved to the evil one, to the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He had control over us. He is the spirit that is at work in the hearts of those who refuse to surrender to God. So don't be judgmental. Don't forget that. That all of us used to live this way. And when we did, we just followed our cravings, our passionate desires, the inclinations of our sinful, fallen, rebellious nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's wrath his holy, good judgment, just like everybody else. But God. But God, who is so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even when we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Don't ever forget that, that it is only by grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ, and now he is seated. We are seated with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus Christ. I mean, picture this. So God, he can point to us 
in all the future generations as examples, as exhibits of his incredible wealth, the wealth of his grace and his kindness toward us that he has shown in all he has done for us by being united with Christ. God saved you by his grace when you believed in him. And you can't take credit for this, right? It's a gift from God. Salvation isn't a reward for doing the good things we've done so that no one can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. Like, look around the room. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us brand new in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he's planned for us long ago. I mean, don't forget that you, all of us who are Gentiles, you used to be called uncircumcised heathens. I don't know that anybody actually ever called you that, but back in the day, apparently, that was, that was how you put people down. Um, they used to call you uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. Um, and the Jews were proud of circumcision as the sign of their covenant, even though it only affected their bodies, but not actually their hearts. In those days... In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you didn't know the covenant promises that God had made to his people. And you lived in the world without hope and without God. But now, you have been united with Jesus Christ. Once you were far away from God, but you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Because Christ himself is our peace. I mean, he has brought us peace, and he is our peace. He united the two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, into one people, into his own body on the cross. And he broke down all of the barriers and the dividing walls that, that caused hostility and separated us. He's broken them all down through his crucifixion. And he did this by ending the religious system of the law with its commandments and its regulations and he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people out of the two groups. Now together, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other, it was put to death. So he brought the good news of peace to the Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near so that now all of us can come to our Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. And so now, like we Gentiles, we are no longer strangers and foreigners. We are citizens along with God's holy people. And you are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets that Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. And we are carefully joined in him, becoming a holy temple of the Lord. I mean, do you hear that? We, the church, are becoming a holy temple of the Lord, where God's spirit dwells, and you are made a part of this dwelling. Now, when I think of all of this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, I'm assuming, by the way, that you know that God gave me the special responsibility of extending grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed this mysterious plan of one body united in Jesus. And as you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God didn't reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he's revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. 
And God's plan is this, that both Gentiles and Jews who believe in the good news, they share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading the good news. Though I am the least among all God's people, God graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. The endless treasures available to you in Christ. And I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church, to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all of the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ our Lord. Because of Christ, our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of our trials here in this world that I am suffering, and so you should be honored. When I think of all this, I, I, I fall to my knees, and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything, and here's, here's the prayer. Here's the prayer for you. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength in your spirit, through his spirit, that Christ would make his home in your hearts as you trust him, that your roots would go down into God's love and you would be strong, that you would have power to understand, as all of God's people should, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God, and that you would experience this love of Christ, though it's, it's too great to understand fully that you would experience it and it would make you complete in all of the fullness of life, this life of flourishing and power that comes from God. And now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power that is already at work within us to accomplish infinitely more then all we can ask or imagine, glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And everybody said, amen. That's chapters one to three. Have you heard any commands, any ethical commands at this point? Have you heard any, you should do more of this, be better at that, Don't stop doing those things, quit sinning so much in this area. Have you heard any of that stuff? You know what you've heard? The incomparable riches of God's grace. God is so incredibly good, and he has already done this for you in Jesus. Do you, do you feel that? Therefore, therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, therefore, brothers and sisters, as a prisoner of the Lord, then, I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling that you've received. You have a high calling on your life, brothers and sisters. Would you live a life worthy of this calling you've received? Be humble. Be gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowance for each other's faults because, because of your love. Make every effort. Don't just make an effort. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace among us. Because there is one body, 
And there is one spirit. And just as you've all been called to one future glorious hope, there is one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God who is the Father of all, who is over all and in all and through all. And he's at the center. Now, however, there's a diversity here because each one of you has different gifts to give, that he, Jesus, has given these gifts to you. The scripture says that when he ascended to the heights, he, he led a crowd of captives and he gave gifts to his people. Now, notice what it says. It says that he ascended. And this clearly means that Christ also descended, right, to the lowerly world. And the same one who descended is also the one who is now ascended higher than all of the heavens so that he might fill the universe in every way. This is where Christ is. I mean, this is the reality today that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and he fills the whole universe. As we sang the song earlier, the world, the earth, is filled with your glory. This is true. It is the reality, even though we don't fully see it, that Jesus isn't just a man at one place at one time. He is always available everywhere throughout the whole world. Now, now these gifts that Christ has given to the church, to the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers, are these gifts he's given to you generously. And the responsibility of these leaders in the church is to equip God's people for works of ministry. To equip you all, to equip one another for, God's, for works of ministry so that the body of Christ can be built up and this will continue until we all come to such a unity in our faith and the knowledge of God's Son that we will become mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now then, when that happens, we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed or blown about by every wind of new teaching. We won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies, clever as they sound like the truth. Instead, we're going to speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. And he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Don't live any longer like the culture around you does, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from life that God gives them because they've closed their minds and they've hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. Their lives are full of lustful pleasures, and they eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But brothers and sisters, that is not what you learned from Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, like throw off the old sinful nature. Throw it off. Your former way of life, which was corrupted by lust and deception, and instead let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on, put on this new nature that is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Stop telling lies. Like, stop telling lies. And let us speak truthfully to each other. 
Because we're all parts of the same body. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Because anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, if you're a thief, then quit stealing. But instead, use your hands, doing good, hard, meaningful work. And then you can give generously to others who are in need. Don't use foul and abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And all of these things bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. I mean, they, they grieve the Holy Spirit when we do them. So don't live this way. Remember who you are. Remember that he has identified you. He has claimed you as his very own, guaranteeing that you will be saved completely and fully on the day of redemption. So brothers and sisters, get rid. Get rid of these things. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, harsh words and slander against others, as well as all kinds of evil behavior. And instead, be kind to each other. Be tender-hearted. Forgive each other, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Here is the principle. I mean, here's the principle. The guiding principle is this. Imitate God. I mean, be imitators of God through Jesus in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. He loved us, and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So let not their... <coughs> Let there be no sexual immorality, no impurity, no greed among you. Because these sins, they don't have a place in God's holy people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes. You know those, those kinds that they get a laugh but are childish and they're beneath you now? These are not for you anymore. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. This is a big deal. Because you can be so, excuse me, you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. That God has to, has to burn all of these things away. For the greedy person is, is an idolater worshiping things of this world. So don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins for the wrath of God. Again, the wrath of God is God's good and loving and right judgment on human sin. And it falls on those who disobey him. So don't participate in these things as people do. For once, like you were full of this kind of darkness, but now you have the light of the Lord in your life. So live as people of light. For the light within you produces only what is good and true and right. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose those things. Like when you find them in yourself, expose them. Because it's shameful even to talk about the things that, that ungodly people do in the secret. But their evil intentions, they will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. And that's why the scripture says this. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be careful how you live. 
Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity because our days are evil. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord's, what his will is, what he wants for you to do. Don't be drunk. Like don't, don't get drunk because it will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and sing praises and psalms and spiritual songs among yourselves. Make music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the light of Christ be evident in all your relationships. And lastly, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here you go, Daryl. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is for the church. In our relationships with each other, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so wives, submit to your husbands in everything. Now, husbands, love your wives with the sacrificial love of Jesus because he gave his life for her. And he did this to make her holy by the washing of cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. And instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, like husbands, as we look at Christ, we have to love our wives as those love their own body. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love to himself because no one hates his own body, but he feeds and he cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. The scriptures say this, as a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united and they become one. Now, this is a great mystery, but the covenant of marriage is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each husband must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, children, obey your parents. Because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Don't treat them harshly. Rather, bring up your children with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Servants, obey your earthly masters, and do it with deep respect. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time. Not just when they're watching you, but as a servant of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we're slaves or free. Now, if you're a master, then treat your servants in the same way. Do not threaten them, but remember Remember that you both have the same master in heaven, and he does not show favoritism between you and them. The final word is this. Be strong. Like, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but we are fighting uh, evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers of this dark world and against evil spirits in the cosmic world. 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, put on every piece of armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground. Put on the belt of truth and the, the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on peace that comes from the good news so that you can be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of your faith to stop these fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as a helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I encourage you to pray in the Spirit at all times with all kinds of prayers and requests. Stay alert. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all the believers everywhere. And would you pray for me too? I ask that God would give me the right words so that I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan and the good news is for all people. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Peace. God's peace be with you, brothers and sisters. And may God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, give you love and faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all you who love our Lord Jesus Christ.